developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you. You define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Lynn, and welcome to Vision Beyond Sight podcast. Today, we have a very interesting guest with us, Linda Powers Leviton. She's going to speak about a process for clarifying and manifesting your desires. Hmm, That sounds a lot like Vision Beyond Sight to me. I'm excited for that. So let me first tell you a little bit about Linda. I met Linda many, many years ago through our mutual friend and colleague, Dr. Linda Silverman, who's the director of the Gifted Development Center here in Denver. Dr. Silverman Silverman and I have worked collaboratively for over 40 years with uh, students and adults that are gifted and talented. And she, Dr. Silverman always talked to me about, and then there's this West Coast operations of the Gifted Center. And that's how I eventually met you, Linda. You uh, direct this West Coast operation. You've taught and administered programs for the gifted and twice exceptional since 1975. And you're also licensed as a marriage, family, and child therapist since 1999, working primarily with gifted and twice exceptional children, adults, and families, coaching them on how to best create successful relationships in their lives. In your private practice, Linda sees gifted kids of all ages, gifted people of all ages, uh, and a range of inter and intrapersonal challenges, which we're going to talk about today, some of those challenges. Linda's trained in family therapy by Virginia Satir, who's considered the mother of family therapy. And Virginia and uh, Linda includes a range of eclectic and original therapeutic practices tailored to this population in her private practice. In 2003, Linda created Whole Child Assessment, which is a qualitative way of assessing children. And they created this assessment, the gifted qualitative assessment, GQA, um, And it uses Dr. Linda Silverman's 40 years of research on assessing the gifted and twice exceptional children. This process analyzes information from parents and direct play and interview with the child to understand their unique qualities, gifts, and challenges. Linda is also the author of Peace Within, Peace Between, a Relationship Toolkit. And she gets so much of her experience by being the mother of three highly gifted children, one twice exceptional, and one who just published, to be honest, a memoir. Linda also spends her time manifesting her heart's needs and life purpose through art, writing, 
and furniture designing. So it's such a pleasure to have you on with us, Linda, to Vision Beyond Sight. Welcome. Thank you for asking me. I mean, this sounds something that's right up my alley. (laughs) It sure does. You know, you and I not personally worked a lot together, but we've had such, you know, anytime we've seen each other or talking, there just seems to be a lot of commonalities in our paths and experiences. So, so share with our audience, how did you get in this, into this particular specialization? Well, um, I was identified gifted myself when I was in uh, second grade and and um, it turns out that I'm twice exceptional. And so even though I was in these gifted classes with these highly gifted kids, I struggled and had to work very hard. And I met Linda Silverman when I was 12. And she was she was a teacher of gifted kids at that time. And she became my mentor and best friend. And it became clear to me that this was an area. I also had siblings that that were exceptional, and I realized that this is the area that most appealed to me, and that I had the most <laughs> understanding of. Um, and I just went from there, and and ex- and worked with Linda through the Gifted Development Center, and edited her many articles and read all, all her stuff. And, um, and then I met Anne-Marie Roper, who was sort of the grandmother of gifted education and studied with her for a while. And then I met um, Virginia Satir, who is the mother of family therapy. Um, and I worked with her group. She's created several different groups. And this all sort of gelled to be what has become a very unusual practice with very special people and um, a small group of people, but very creative. And it allows me to really see individuals and help them find what they're searching for. Um, This population often knows that they're capable of a lot, but they have a very hard time deciding what they want to do or how they want to do it. And they they often are perfectionists, and so they're very hard on themselves. So this process is really wonderful because it sort of removes the responsibility for creating what you want to manifest and, and turns it into being aware of how you want to live and what is needed to create the life you want. Well, that's um, what you said is so dear to my heart because I've been working with this population for over 40 years and, um, and have come to love them, but also learn more about their emotional and behavioral challenges, which we'll talk about in just a minute. Mm -hmm. Um, But first let's back up just a little bit. I, I want you to explain a little bit more about what is twice exceptional and, and living that life yourself. How did that impact you? What were some of your challenges? Well, it's a very interesting um, experience to be twice exceptional because you have all of these abilities. You know you're gifted and you know you should be able, and certainly an IQ test tells you and everybody tells you, well, you should be doing better. You should, this should be easier for you. And some things do come very easily. But then you get, if in my case, I have both auditory processing and visual processing problems that were hidden until I was an adult. 
And the reason they're hidden is because in the gifted, the brain is very powerful and it can adapt to whatever it is given. But it has to work really hard if it's given things that it doesn't recognize. And so one of the things that happen to be I'm very, very good at is being able to connect the dots when I don't have all the information. (laughs) Why did I learn that? Well, because I often didn't get all the information from my senses. I had to figure them out given what pieces of information I had, sort of like doing a puzzle without all the pieces or without (laughs) the picture. And so um, because of that, it's very frustrating because You see the people who are gifted who don't have any challenges, just, you know, having everything come easily to them, and you have to work really hard. And so I became very tenacious. It was was something that, in my case, it actually motivated me, but for a lot of kids, it demotivates them. And so a lot of the kids I see are ones who it's just too hard for them to to get information from reading, for instance, or from, um, you know, they're, they don't quite hear at the same time, you know, their, their ears don't, don't process what they hear. And so what happens is they get called lazy or they get, you know, oh, you're, you, you know, you're not focused and, and in the truth of it, part of their behavior comes from their frustration over, not getting all the information the way everyone else seems to. Right. And, you know, I've seen so many kids that it's really interesting in that it's not that they can't do something, but the way they learn, so often things come automatically. Like Mm -hmm. they can just pick up a toy, put it together, don't bother me with the instructions kinds of things. And then if they have problems and it's too difficult, let's say, it's almost like they have no way of figuring out a strategy. Things are so automatic. They're not step-by-step, let's figure it out. So what looks to be like pick up the directions and just look at it becomes this, looks like an overblown emotional response to something Mm -hmm. that may not be that difficult, but in that mind of that child, it's overwhelming because it's something that wasn't automatic and and it's new. That's right. And a lot of times when you've up to a certain point, everything's come easily. You don't learn that tenacity that's required when you reach something that is harder. And so, you know, they're more likely to say, well, you know, I just can't do that. It's not possible. And so it's, it's a, a block wall that parents are often hit with that, is immensely frustrating, both for the children and the parents. Right. And it often shows up in behavioral, uh, inappropriate behavioral responses that then people will get mad at them or yell at them or not understand where that behavior is really coming from. Absolutely. And there are teachers who do not like the gifted. Um, I went on a cruise, a retired teacher, and I said, oh, I work with the gifted. And she said, oh, I hate those. Those were the ones I hated teaching. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is it because they like, were just smarter than her or what? <laughs> well, in part, but also they asked too many questions. They were, you know, they were too on top of things. They, you know, they just weren't, they weren't compliant. 
And she liked a kid who was compliant and, you know, didn't rock the boat and the gifted tend to. Um, And so, you know, I think that a lot of times the emotional response to being frustrated and combined with, you know, teachers who don't have a clue of why this bright kid would be frustrated is, you know, it's a recipe for disaster. And so a lot of the emotional problems that I see are really a result of these experiences that make these kids feel that there's something wrong with them or that they just will never fit in. Yeah, that is so true. And that's why so many of these kids don't fit into traditional classrooms and learning. Um, Have you found that many of these uh, really bright kids and they may show up as ADD or avoidance or talkers or yeah. the funny kid. Um, and often part of the problem is they're just bored in the classroom. Absolutely. I once asked Linda Silverman if, you know, if a child, a gifted child is completely bored and, and, and distracted in the classroom, can you tell the difference between that and a child who actually has ADD? And she said, no. You can't tell the difference because the behavior looks the same. Well, that's the issue. You know, probably about 30 years ago, Linda, myself, and a psychologist who specialized in ADD and a couple other professionals, we got uh, together in a study group to try to figure out, you know, is this a kiddo that truly has ADD? Is this a kiddo Mm -hmm. that has emotional difficulties? Do they have visual problems? Do they need meds? Are they just overly sensitive and 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 maybe you can speak to this in my experience sure. i've seen so many of these kids seem you know it's just like the auditory processing difficulty they hear too well and they can't mm-hmm. filter yeah do you see that same kind of over response emotionally like a little oh, yeah. a little something goes wrong ends up being a major emotional blowout well if you think about you know, how, if you're not feeling your best self in the first place, how, or like, I, I, sometimes I use the metaphor of a bruise, you know, no, normally if somebody pats your arm, you don't really notice it. You have a bruise on your arm and somebody pats it and your reaction is huge because there's a pain that you didn't even know you had that pain until the person touched it. And it's the same with, with processing and sensory processing. Um, you know, my auditory processing is such that I am very sensitive to noise and I really love silence. And so I have to have noise canceling headphones. Well, most kids, when I'm in an environment where I don't have them and I'm just, you know, around a lot of ambient noise, particularly restaurants are a problem. I am so much more irritable and I notice I just do not have the tolerance for things that I do in an environment that's quiet. And it's for children, if you think of the classroom, it's never quiet. And there's always ambient noise of some kind. And so you have these kids that are already sensitive. They're in an environment where they're on edge. And then something emotional or disappointing happens of course, they're going to have a bigger response. And the gifted do tend to be more sensitive and and they're more aware of nuance. And, and you know, I think, you know, the idea of too sensitive is a real problem because what is the right amount? 
you know, when when you're in when you're completely immersed in an emotion, how do you be less sensitive? And so I think that a lot of these kids feel this frustration, not only of the hypersensitivity, but also of being told to dim down and to, you know, not feel what they're feeling. Yeah, and I want to talk more about your treatment and things you can do to help that uh, after our break. Um, but you did mention something about so many of them are perfectionistic. Mm-hmm. And so often in my consults um, and psychologists like Dr. Silverman will send me many of these patients uh, that she's evaluated mm-hmm. and find suspect of visual processing. And so we'll do a full evaluation. And when I do mm-hmm. the consultation... So often things like timed testing is a real problem or handwriting. My picture of a gifted kid is one who doesn't write well. And Linda always <laughs> says, why do you say that? And I say, well, those are the kids you always send me. <laughs> you know? And some yeah. of it is, I believe, because they do have some visual motor skills, but I think a lot of it is the anxiety of the time and or perfectionism. Can you comment on uh, you know, what do you see about that? Well, I think that um, when a child has one of these exceptionalities, it slows them down considerably. And so they know that a time test is their enemy because if they had enough time, they could get the information from what they're reading or, or from what they're hearing. And so for them, a time test is just deadly. Um, for the gifted, it's also a problem because they don't they don't think um, in terms of one possibility. It's sort of like the difference between somebody who plays chess and thinks they had one or two moves and somebody who thinks they had 15. It takes more time. And so if you're a complex thinker and you're thinking about, oh, you know, Well, this answer is true in this case, but it wouldn't be true in this case or this case. So do I put true or not? Well, the teacher generally, especially elementary school, wants the obvious answer, but it takes a little while for the gifted to get to that point. And so they're always looking for the, is this a trick question kind of, (laughs) kind of an answer? And it takes more time. And so they get very anxious about a time test because they know they're not going to be given as much time as they need to be able to fully think through whatever it is that they're trying to decide. And I always, I I give the Myers-Briggs, which is a personality inventory, and it's a forced choice inventory, which means you have two answers and you have to say which one of these is more true for you. It is a terrible problem for most of the gifted to answer this because they keep going both. In this situation, it would be this. In this situation, it is this. And, you know, it's a, immensely helpful if you can get them to say, well, what's, what is it most of the time? And get them to sort of choose one, because the truth is generally the other one is kind of an outlier. Occasionally, they're half and half. But most of the time, you know, there is one that's a little stronger, and, and they just they can think of so many possibilities because they have these great memories and they have this incredible instant recall that it creates a problem. So that's why they take longer. They take much longer on anything that is important to them. Thanks so much for that example. And um, 
confirming what I had noticed. I remember a consult I had with a kiddo's parents, and the kid was brilliant, but couldn't do a time test, and therefore scores mm-hmm. were lower if they didn't give more time. And I just stopped and asked this child, I said, so does it take you this long to think or tell me what really goes on and what you described is exactly, it was an A, B, C, D, find the right answer yeah. test, you know, an right. A, and they describe, oh, no, that's wrong. However, if they changed this scenario and did this and this, <laughs> this, this could be right. Yeah. Hmm. Let me look at B. And, <laughs> right. and it just helped me understand that. They're not at all slow processors necessarily, but their depth of processing and what they need to come up with an answer is just different than, you know, what the tester had in mind for taking this test. That's that's right. I call them complex processors. I like that too. Yeah, and that way it takes away the idea that it's slow, but it's clear that when we have something complex, we have to spend more time on it. That's so true. But then the negative image that these kiddos walk away with, like, I'm not smart because I wasn't the first one done or I didn't, you know, get an A because I missed the last five problems. So there's a whole emotional overlay, you know, as a result, if people don't understand. Uh, Linda, we're going to take a break here in just a minute. And when we get back from break, uh, I'd really like to focus on manifestation and life purpose and and that part of your work. Um, as well as any uh, students and case examples that you have to share with us on on what how powerful your work is when somebody like you really understands this population and then can help give some strategies to deal with all this emotional behavior consequences that come up. So we'll be back in just a minute. Dr. Lynn will be right back after this. Discover the power of the seeing brain, the creator of your true vision. Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's number one bestseller book, Expand Your Vision, helps you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Remove roadblocks and visualize your new lens to see and experience your world. Get Expand Your Vision on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Vision Beyond Sight will help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Join Dr. Lynn each week for a new exciting episode, Vision Beyond Sight.
Can your child organize, really organize? Parents and teachers will have practical step-by-step strategies and templates to help get their children organized with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein's Organize It Workbook. Increased organizational skills create success and confidence in school, sports, and life. Get Organize It on Amazon or visit lynnhellerstein.com. Welcome back to Vision Beyond Sight. Here's Dr. Lynn. Hi, everyone. We've been talking with Linda Powers Leviton, who uh, directs the West Coast Operations of the Gifted Development Center. And we've been talking about uh, assessment and the emotional behavior challenge of uh, gifted and talented kiddos and adults. And so let's continue on speaking about what Linda calls the ABC process. Please explain that, uh, Linda, and how you use that in your practice. Sure. A lot of the adults in particular and the teenagers who come to me, um, they're having what we, we call an existential crisis. And, and that's to do with what do I do with my life? I know I'm here for a purpose. How do I figure out what I want? Or, um, or I know that I want love. How do I manifest the right kind of love? And so um, I will help them. I developed this process after years of realizing that if I took somebody shopping, for instance, if they were very clear to me about what it was they wanted, I could manifest it for them. And it was crazy how it would happen. Um, I'll use Linda Silverman as an example since you brought her up. She had been looking for six months to find some new dishes, but she knew she wanted them to be bright colored. She had a whole list of things that she wanted. So I wrote down an ABC list for her of the things she wanted. And we went to the mall and one of them was the price had to be a certain low price. And we get there and the company that she loves, the store is going out of business. And they, she finds the exact set that she loves and all the pieces that we needed. And we bought it for about 90% off of the original price. And <clears throat> this is the kind of thing that I was doing for her on a regular basis. You know, whether it was, okay, I need a bell. And then we'd walk in a thrift store and I'd say, it's somewhere in this case. And if I could have enough of a, a vision of what it was that somebody wanted, I could help them manifest it. And whether it was me manifesting it or them, it was a combination of knowing what it was. So I started this process where I had people make an A, B, and C list. Actually, I started it with myself when I needed to buy a house. Um, I needed to buy a house in an area that was way out of my price range. And I had very specific things that I liked and didn't like. One of them was, for instance, I hated where I, where I lived at the time because you had to give people so many directions to find it. So I wanted something that was near a major street. And I wanted something that was safe because I had three little kids. And I had a list of about 30 things that I needed. Well, I had about 30 things that I really had to have that were deal breakers, one of which included the price 
the maximum price. And then I had a list, the second list, the B list, are things that I wanted and that, you know, either I could do later that was possible to do later or that, you know, was either there, was there. And then the third list was icing on the cake, things that would be so great if it also had. And I put them on little individual cards. And then I took the cards after I had them. The reason I put them on on three by five cards was so that I could move them from the A to the B or to the C list as my as I looked at houses and realized, oh, this isn't really a, a, a must-have. This is just a want. Or, you know, I can live without this, and I'll just put that in the C list. And then I wrote out my lists, and I would write it out every morning by hand. You can't do it on the computer. It has to be by hand. And then I put the list in a drawer and started looking at houses. Well, sure enough, a house came up. It was exactly the price I wanted. It was, it had everything on my need list and it had almost everything on my want list and a few things from the C list. And I thought, oh my gosh, this is powerful. How did I do this? And I started having other people do this. Linda Silverman also did this for her house. Um, And she has like this amazing house now that she says is strictly because I helped her manifest it. But people can do it for jobs. And my daughter did it to find a partner and, and she did it, you know, long before she was really ready to find a partner and threw it in a drawer. And then after she met the guy, she pulled it out and it had everything on her list. So that's so powerful. Oh my God. It is so powerful. (laughs) So So, I started doing it with clients uh and having them just think about what are the things that you love on this subject or that you just know that you need. And as they started doing the cards, they started noticing how they could manifest it and how they could do it. And almost every one of them has managed to create some version of whatever they have come up with. Do you um, go through, you had mentioned before a little bit about vision, envisioning what you want. Do you go through that process even before the cards? I do because I'm very visual spatial. I'm a a visual spatial learner and I think in pictures and movies. And so in order to identify something, I have to picture a situation and then identify the parts of it. I'm visual spatials think in terms of the big picture and then they go to the details. Somebody who is more of a sequential learner might not need that. Or somebody who is a a tactile kinesthetic learner might actually need to do something and be while they're doing something, figure out what it is. Yeah, that, you know, what you're talking about is the essence of the program I created, See It, Say It, Do It, Visualize, Ah, Declare, Take Action, not necessarily in that order. But I Mm -hmm. I just loved your example. I mean, this just happened to me the other day. Uh, I had done a podcast and um, the the guest just heard it and she was very happy and she called me to to, uh, talk about it. And she Mm -hmm. said, who else are you going to interview on your podcast? I said, you know, I really want to find somebody in the Special Olympics, somebody because I'm getting a lot of Uh emails for fundraising and and it's the Hall of Fame and they're honoring some of the athletes. I really 
would like to know who to contact to get one or two special Olympians. Uh And I said, do you know anybody? And my friend said, no, I'll think about it. And during that time, I'm walking in one place with my daughter and she's walking in a park somewhere else. Well, within five minutes, literally, Uh my phone rings. It's my friend. She said, you're not going to believe this. The park I'm walking in is holding a special Olympic event that I just met the head of the uh, Special Olympics for Colorado. I just exchanged information with her. Exactly. And that's how it happens. As soon as we open up our envisioning of something, things show up. And we just have to be able to open up to see them because, you know, normally we just kind of are going about our way. She would have walked through the park without thinking about it, but it was, but it, it created the, the atmosphere so that it would happen. It is just being aware and being open. Um, mm-hmm. And then what falls in is just truly amazing. We could talk about, I'm sure you have so many stories as I do, but it, it's like expecting a miracle every day. And, and it uh, is. And it does happen when that's part of what I set forth often for my daily intention is miracles to happen. Uh, Yeah. Open to that. And that's the other piece. Um, When people have a a daily intention and they have uh, uh, they may develop a mantra that is related to whatever their wishes and calling it in. And that also really helps because it's a refocusing on what is going to happen and what you want as opposed to what you don't want and what you, you know, um, you know, what you need. The the funny thing about uh, one thing I forgot to say is when you're asking for something in the list, for instance, I wanted the house that was on a that had a major street. Well, I managed, but I also wanted a house that was safe for my kids. So those were two conflicting. And I managed oh. to find a house that had a divider between the address was actually a major street, but there was this divider. And so my street was completely not busy. Isn't that amazing? So, and, yeah. and the thing is to, like you mentioned, is to picture the big picture without necessarily knowing the hows and all the specifics, because too often and also, people get hung right, up in the us. when. Uh-huh. The when is a hard one, because we have to be patient. We have to be able to say, I know this is going to come, you know, as soon as I'm ready for it, and I don't, I won't know when I'm ready. Right, right. That's, that's the pressure we put on ourselves so often. Um, how do you, and, and I'm sure you see a lot of your visual spatial uh, learners who are great visualizers. Yes. And I, I've noticed a correlation that so many of these people have high anxiety. And when I talk to them about their visualizations and the pictures of movies going on in their head, they see every possibility and detail of what could go wrong. So exactly. as much as manifestation, manifestation works, whether it's positive or negative. So what are some strategies you use if you have somebody who is a great manifester, but, you know, what they're manifesting are all these negative kinds of things? Well, I try, especially with children, it's almost easier. Um, They will have such high anxiety that they're, you know, they'll do anything to try. The anxiety is such a horrible feeling that we want to pass it off. And, And so I'll point out to them, okay, Let's do an exercise where for every 
possible negative thing you can imagine. Let's imagine one possible great thing. And let's switch it so that we can have at least as many positive possible outcomes as negative ones. And I often tell parents, you know, at night, you have an opportunity to make up stories for your child that are about positive outcomes and get them to start thinking of positive outcomes so that they're not defaulting to the bottom end of the spectrum because those are the scary outcomes. And so I often will tell parents, whatever it is, like if there's a life change coming up, you start months in advance and you start telling stories about all the possible best things about that experience. So you tell them stories about the camp and how it's like the perfect camp. Everybody there is so nice and people come up to you and immediately say hello and are very kind and, and all of the possibilities that are positive. And so you address all of their fears with the opposite of them. And you teach them how when they have a fear that the the positive opposite of it is equally possible. And sometimes it's even more probable if you focus on it. So you brought up a very interesting point in that so often, at least one of the parents is very similar in behavior and, and giftedness as a child. And so I believe so often the parents are feeding their own anxieties and fears to the kiddo. Absolutely, yeah. So and do you work with a parent on that as well? Yeah, I will give the parent in um, coaching ideas for things they could do differently. And a lot of times they'll just say, oh, you're describing me. And I'll say, well, that's good. So you can do this too. And you can do this for yourself. You're going to journal all of your fears and the opposite positive responsibility. And and I try to teach them to model good behaviors so that they can help their child. And usually they're responsive because they're there to help their kid. But, you know, they know how hard it's been for them. And so they are willing to try these things. And it's surprising how quickly, as soon as you change focus, from fear to gratitude or fear to possibility, you have an entirely different view of life and it allows you to, and I'm not saying you don't prepare for the worst because I'm one of those who, you know, takes way more on a trip just because what if I need a Band-Aid, you know? Um, (laughs) I'm I'm with you. (laughs) Yeah, but at the same time, I don't focus on that happening. In fact, I sort of see my preparations as a, uh, as a safety shield so that it won't happen. And so as long as I have that with me, I know that I'm likely, because I'm prepared, even if it happened, it wouldn't, it wouldn't destroy anything. That's and, great. And, yeah, so that's how I deal with my, my own anxiety. But I think that, you know, a lot of people feel that the way they have to deal with anxiety is by seeking control. And it's and the truth is we don't have any control over the universe. <laughs> you know, we have to be able if if we really want to be less anxious, we have to be able to have trust that the universe is not out to get us and yeah. that the good possibilities are just as there for us as the negative ones. And so by letting go of this process and saying, Okay, I don't have control of the how, I don't have control of the when. 
Um, but I do have control over my focus and my envisioning of what I want to happen. You then create a life that is more positive in orientation. What wonderful strategies. And, you know, I'll often tell parents, because we have this control issue, and often it's either yeah. the parent or the kiddo has to control every pot, you know, piece of the environment or what the uh, project. And and truly, I've always thought the only thing we can control are our pictures and our words. The see yeah. and the say and it. our and our and sometimes our reactions. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the do it, the see it, say it, and the do it. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Are there other strategies uh, that you might give parents? I mean, you, the modeling good behavior. I love the the fear, and the flip side is gratitude of possibility. Just being aware of that can you know change your body feeling in a moment. I mean, it's not like it takes a well, long time. Uh, I mean, and there are sometimes very small changes that can be made when you have a lot of conflict going on. Um, you know, a lot of times the flashpoint is just having to say no to the kid. And um, I usually say, you know, there are a lot of ways you can say yes as soon as instead of just no. And if you can change, if you can turn something into a reframe, you have, you know, the best possibility of having them think, you know, not closed, but think in an open way that they can create different possibilities in the future. So if if a child asks you, you know, can I start the car? You know, you can say, well, yes, as soon as you have a, a, a learner's permit, I, I'll be, I can't wait till I can teach you to drive, you know, and they say, no, now you can say, well, now is, you know, not allowed by the by the law and other things, and it's also not safe. And you know, but I will, I will be happy to do it as soon as you're able. Instead of doing that, how about we do this? And it allows you to have, you know, but you do have to think of possibilities of other possible things they could do that would be kind of like that. And I think that that's kind of a strategy that I use in all interactions with people. This actually comes from Virginia Satir, where her feeling was, first, you have to take into account the other person. I know you'd love to do that. That sounds like a lot of fun. Then you say, the fact is, this is not legal, um, and you need a a learner's permit to do this. Um, And then the last part is, so what I would like is if we could do something different. Here are three possibilities. And give somebody three possibilities. Satir used to say that one was a dile- was not giving anybody a choice, two was a dilemma, and three was real options. And so, if you can give people three possibilities that are acceptable to you, then the child may say, "Okay, well, I I would be willing to do that." And said, "You know, it may be okay. Well, let's go to one of these amusement parks where you're allowed to drive a little car." You know, um, but you have to be creative about the possibilities and you have to get buy-in from the other person. And they may say, I don't like any of the three. And you say, okay, well, can you come up with three for me to choose between? Right. You know, I'm going to need to stop you right there. This is our choice because we're about out of time. (laughs) But what wonderful, wonderful suggestions. And it's all about possibilities and choice. 
And I want to thank you so much, Linda, for being with us. Can you quickly share how our listeners uh, can reach you and resources? We'll have the information short show notes, but go ahead and share uh, the best way to contact you. Sure. The best way to contact me is my email, and it is becalmer, B-E-C-A-L-M-E-R, at AOL.com. And it is, um, and and uh, if they contact me and put ABC list in the subject line, I can send them uh, an explanation of how you do the ABC list. And uh, other than that, that is the best way to talk to me. Well, I thank, thank you, you so much. It's been such a delight and you're doing such wonderful work for all those bright kids and, and uh, hope to see you again soon. Bye. Thank you for, for joining me. Okay. Bye. Bye bye. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you, you define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.